With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is usually where we record the story of our moment, but today's episode is a little different. Today we're opening up the photography wing of the First Belt Hall of Fame, which I might add is fully sponsorable. I'll call this mother effer the Fujifilm Photography Gallery. I'll call it the Polaroid Instax Mini Photography Wing. I'll do anything for a buck. Hit me up. Now, today we're interviewing one of the great sports photographers ever. I hope you enjoyed meeting him. I certainly did. In lieu of a story behind a moment for today, I'm going to take this opportunity to comment on the NBA, on the league. I'm not tweeting as much anymore. I just personally can't stomach some of the things that are going on on that platform. I have to keep the account open to promote this podcast, maybe some other work in the future. You can still DM me there. Certainly DM the show's account at First Ballot Pod. But to hear all of my incredible, accurate takes on the NBA, you're going to have to start listening to the podcast. Here they are. I have 10 thoughts on the league. Really, most of them are about the Lakers. It doesn't matter. Let's go. Number one, it remains to be seen if LeBron and Anthony Davis remain healthy. But if they do, the Lakers will 100% waste their seasons. Honestly, really, if just one of them is healthy, that person's season would definitely be wasted. And regardless of whichever one it is, I think both would have all of the room and the ground to stand on to say, this is absolute front office mismanagement. They should be pissed at the, the front office and they'd have every reason to be. This summer, I thought the Indiana trade would make them contenders. More on that soon. At the beginning of the season, I switched and thought the Indiana trade would make them six to nine seeds with a puncher's chance at the title. And really, if you've got LeBron on your team, that's you you have to have a puncher's chance. You have to give him a puncher's chance. He's not just a player. He's NBA royalty. You gotta give him a chance to compete. Not making a trade here is either completely negligent in terms of the front office. Or the front office has no idea what they're looking at. They have no idea what they're watching. And I'm not sure what's worse. Number two, no disrespect to Kendrick Nunn whatsoever. He seems like a nice guy. But Kendrick Nunn does prove what is now an immutable truth for me. If Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra let you walk, it's for a reason. Number three, Lonnie Walker is better than I realized offensively. And I jumped the gun a bit about AD's best days being behind him. But I am never wrong, so let's just move forward. Let's focus on how good Austin Reeves is. He's really, really good. I really enjoy watching him play. He's a great piece for a contender, just like Caruso before him, which leads to number four. The writing is on the wall. The Lakers should turn over a lot of the decision-making to whoever is making their draft picks. Those scouts completely understand pieces, how they fit, what roles can be filled. It's a remarkable hit rate. It's said all the time, but it's the truth. Give them more power in the room. Number five, thinking back on this summer and me thinking the Lakers could be contenders makes me realize the trade I always wanted and the trade I definitely would have given first two, uh, two first-round picks for is Brogdon and Turner. Brogdon, Reeves, LeBron, AD, and Turner competes for a title. I believe that. 
Every time I see Brogdon on the Celtics, I want to fucking vomit. Goddamn Indiana, whoever runs their team, handing Brogdon to the Celtics? That doesn't, the guy doesn't even start there. LA would make him a star. Tough break for Brogdon, who has to live there and play with them. Number six, the Celtics are really, really good. They're, they're well coached. They're really strong defensively. And they don't even have their rim protector playing. They're scrappy. They hustle. They're deep. They got a good bench. They play together. They have shooters. They have role players. They play in a historically racist city. The, the, the last thing, the city thing doesn't really have any bearing on the team. It is true. I just want to say this. In another NBA season that's wide open, I got to say, if the Celtics don't win it this year, it will be for one reason and one reason only. They don't have a superstar. You need a superstar to win a title in the NBA. And if they have everything, but maybe they don't have a superstar. Tatum either becomes a superstar or maybe he starts encroaching on that Pippen, Gasol, Barkley, Malone territory as world-class second bananas, like phenomenal second bananas. Those guys were not the superstars you needed to win an NBA title. The point of all this, come to Los Angeles, Jason, fulfill your destiny. Number seven, the Cavs are really a lot of fun. And what's interesting about them is I don't know what I do to fix them. I don't know what I do to get them to the next level. And that's interesting because I think I know everything. They have a very delicate balance, which feels like it could be thrown off if you do some crazy big move. As a Laker fan, I think LeBron should retire with the team. And I pretty much bet the house that Genie's going to draft Bronny early and have that James father and son moment in purple and gold. But LeBron and Cleveland for one more run would be really, really special. Really special. Number eight, the Pistons shutting down Cade Cunningham is the first audacious attempt at Wembanyama. I understand wanting to pair those two. I do wonder if Cade's in on it. Like, does Cade, did they present it to Cade and go, we want to increase our chances, the season's not going to happen, but let's put you two together. Does he know? Or did a doctor legitimately convince him that season-ending shin surgery was the right decision? Something to consider. Number nine. I believe this firmly. This is a, this is a, this, I want this to be tied to my name forever. The NBA must immediately stop counting half court shots and full court heaves at the end of buzzers against field goal percentage. Enact that rule. I don't know what it means, but enact that rule. When I grew up, there were entire VHS tapes dedicated to people making full court shots. Two guys in games chucking the ball and the the fans absolutely roaring in delight. That is a huge part of the game that is now out because people are trying to protect their field goal attempts and their field goal percentage because everything is driven by analytics and, and, and contracts are made and based on those numbers now. I get it. I get those guys wanting to protect their money. But we need to bring that back to the league. So ban including those, you know, last second, within five second shots that are full court or past half court. Take those out of the percentages. We need to get that back in. I don't know what it, what it requires, but we can do anything we want, for God's sakes. It's all just numbers and bullshit. Yes, will we'll numbers be inflated now versus the past but yes but they're inflated for many other reasons let's just fucking forget it just let, i want to see guys taking shots at the end of quarters and halves and games trying to get 
closer. That's the sport. These guys should want to win, but they don't because they want to protect their money. My God, fix this. That's a major thing that we should fix. And the last thing, number 10, massively against the new trophies. I get wanting more players represented in these trophies. I get wanting more modern players represented. I certainly get more wanting more black players represented. But I wonder what the players think. I wonder if they were asked or polled. As much as I think Jerry West may not mean much to John Morant, as someone like Michael Jordan did, my guess is John Morant's dreams of him winning an MVP had him holding that gorgeous Jerry West trophy. He saw Shaq hold it up. He saw Jordan hold it up. He saw AI and Kobe hold up that trophy. That's got to be what he wanted. A very interesting decision. No hockey player today knows Sir Frederick Arthur Stanley. But that cup is a banger. It's tradition. It's history. They All those dudes want to drink out of that thing. I don't understand the changes. And get rid of the crystal. This isn't my mother's dining room. Get rid of the crystal, for God's sakes. This is the NBA. There they are. Ten completely correct thoughts about the NBA, mainly the Lakers. Now, please enjoy our interview with a living legend, Andy Bernstein. This is First Ballot. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother, coming to you live from the Shaquille O'Neal Office Depot, big and tall executive suite desk chair. And please remember, I'm not sitting in it because I'm big. I'm in it because I'm tall. Today's episode of First Ballot could be sponsored by the new Shaq documentary series, Shaq, available now on HBO Max. HBO Max, throw me some money. Listen, it's a lot of fun if you're watching it. Uh, then you're enjoying it as well, I'm sure. I was just texting with a friend who had no idea it, ex- it existed. I sort of gasped, told him he immediately had to watch it. Shaq is special. Oh. I've always said you'll see another Michael Jordan before you see another Shaq. He's truly one of one. <laughs> the one thing about this series I do feel inclined to mention, my God, does it make me miss Kobe. That guy would have been so much fun to add to a series like this. Obviously, I miss the basketball player I grew up with, and more importantly, a family misses his father, but God damn, do I miss that guy as a thinker too? He would have been, as I think about all those Laker docs that have come out recently, he would have been so good on all of them and added such a perspective. We're going to talk about that with our guests in a bit. Let's keep the show moving. I've learned a lot about what makes a great sports moment as I've done this show. The most important thing I like to remind people of is that moments, the sports moments, it's all we get as fans. Players come and go jerseys change on the goddamn hour nowadays the moments the way we remember those plays and how they made us feel those are our moments forever and those moments are crafted not just by athletes but by professionals who shape those moments there are a lot of people in the world of sports sports that shape these moments the way you remember them none more so than my guest today lots of people have had a big hand in making sports moments great. Some, some of them have made moments as great as our guest, 
but I, I would say that no one has added more to making sports moments great than our guest. No one exceeds him. His career has expanded 30 years, and his photography has been seen in thousands of newspapers and magazines, and now, of course, all over the internet. He's the first ever official photographer of the NBA. They had to create that title for him. For that reason, he's also the longest tenured photographer the league has ever had. He shot every final since 1982. He's been the team photographer for the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Kings, and the Clippers. He's also the director of photography for the Staples Center of whatever the heck it's called now and LA Live. His work matters. It matters to you as sports fans. It matters to us as the first ballot Hall of Fame organization. It's the talented, the artistic, the NBA official, Mr. Andrew Bernstein. Well, thank you, Neil. Can, can I go now? I yes. Mean, what, what, else, what else is there to say, pal? I mean, that was amazing. <laughs> I know. I'm talking about all these things that you have a real perspective on, and everybody's yeah. just listening to me drone on about it. I'm so sorry. You had to no, that. man, it was great. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bernstein, let's please set the table. This is not going to be a normal episode of this show, but what's normal of this show is mm-hmm. the first thing I always ask everybody is this table setter. Mm-hmm. In life, Mr. Bernstein, it's not what you – it's not what you are like. It's what you like. So set the table. What's your favorite sport, your favorite team, and your favorite athlete of all time? That will shape who you are to us. Wow. Well, you know, I'm, I'm known for my basketball um, photography. That's, you know, people kind of relate to me on that level of my iconic photography. But I got to tell you, I grew up a hockey fan, an avid wow. Rangers, New York Rangers hockey Look at fan. That. I was a big Mets fan growing up in Brooklyn. Um, I knew that I wouldn't be either Roger Bear from the Rangers or Bud Harrelson from the Mets when I grew up. Um, was you know played a lot of a lot of hoops in in the playground and and in my driveway and stuff. But I was the shortest kid on my block, so needless to say, I did. I knew I was going to have a sports career um, in front of me. And then I gravitated to photography and I kind of married the two together, which was wonderful. Um, let's see. So that's my favorite sport. And then you asked me, who's my favorite, favorite team? Favorite team. Oof, that's a tough one, man. Uh, you know what? It's so crazy. I became a Red Sox fan when I went to college in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had any friends. <laughs> and they, I've stayed a Red Sox fan. Um you, you know, were born in New York City. Yeah, it's crazy. And you're now yeah. you then became a Red Sox fan, and you, the to. people you grew up with didn't kill you. No, well, I didn't have an American League team because growing up in New York and in Brooklyn specifically, um, my family absolutely hated anything with the word Yankee in it. Wow. Especially the team that played in the Bronx. <laughs> so, right. So I was prohibited. And it's a whole other story. But I was prohibited from even mentioning the word Yankee or bringing a Yankee <laughs> baseball card into my house or whatever. Um, so when the Mets came to be, and you know, I was when the Mets came in in '62, I was four years old. By the by, the time they won the uh, the World Series in '69, I was 11. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened. Right. In fact, <laughs> Gil Hodges, the manager, lived around the corner from us. Amazing. And, and we kids gave him a parade and the whole thing. It was oh, great. that's so great. Um, but I ended up going to the University of Massachusetts and not having an American League team. They were okay with me being a Mets fan, of course, until I was out of school in 86 when I lost <laughs> a lot of friends during that World Series. That's a whole other story. Um, and so I became a Red Sox fan because one of the reasons was um, when you go to Fenway Park for the first time, um, it's literally like going to like the Sistine Chapel yes. of 
of sports. I mean, it was just mind blowing. Um, my best friend and I, to this day, we still argue at the Bruins and Rangers, you know, we can't give that up from the seventies. Uh, and then my favorite athlete, I mean, I really, if you, if, if I had to mention one, it would absolutely have to be Kobe. So, you know, 20 years with that guy, um, seeing him mature from, a, from a teenager really to, uh, an amazing human being, uh, Father, um, husband, five-time champion, Olympic gold medalist, MVP, the whole thing. So it was quite the run. Uh, it's amazing to think about your work affecting your answer to those questions because all I have is like all of the things I felt as a kid. Like Magic Johnson, my favorite athlete of all time. Right. And it's because I loved him as a kid. But you are have been in the trenches with these guys. You've worked alongside them. You've worked mm -hmm. with them. You've seen their personal lives. You've seen their professional lives. How could you not be affected by those things? It's mm -hmm. fascinating that you have a an answer that's affected by the work and the time that you've put into this business. <laughs> uh, amazing. Thank you for your answers. Sure. Um, my favorite things to do when I go into meetings with all these sort of media folks is to look in their offices, to look at all their stuff, to look at mm -hmm. their pictures, yeah. their, their, the tickets, the lanyards they have, the photos, the knickknacks. It, I love offices. I don't know. I don't know if there's like a subset of the internet that is like into office pictures and things, but I love offices. I often now find myself going, I'll go into offices and see your work on the walls. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what work do you, what thing, what conversation started do you have in your office that you appreciate? Well, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. I go back to seeing Bruce. My first concert was 1978, and I snuck a camera in, uh, taped the camera to one leg and taped the lens to the other leg <laughs> and put the film down my pants. You know, <laughs> a lot of us did that back in the day. And, you know, Thirty almost forty years later, I've seen him now seventy eight times, and oh can't gosh. wait to the next the next show. So my office, my particular area where I work, where my desk is in my office, is kind of a shrine to the boss. Quite frankly, <laughs> so I have some photos that I shot. I have some amazing photos: a Danny Clinch original. I have a Frank Stefanko original. Um, I have album covers that have been signed, gold records that have been gifted to me um, uh, along the way. Um, there's a few other knickknacks in there, but there's a David Stern bobblehead, which means a lot to me. Um, I have some credentials in there. Um, I have some motivational stuff in there taped to my desktop computer, pictures of my kids when they were little, you know, stuff like that. But if if you had to really drill into it, 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 you know, people are like in shock when they walk in my area because it's like, you know, where's the sports photography? <laughs> <laughs> How did you, so as you got into sports, as you got into photography, how did you get into sports? And then how did you make your way into sort of basketball having mm -hmm. been sort of a, a, a baseball guy or pardon, mm -hmm. having, having been a hockey guy growing yeah. up, how did you end up drifting towards basketball uh, and how did you pick sports photography in general? Well, it's interesting. Like I said, I, I, I became a photographer when I was 14. My dad gifted me a camera mm. and we went out uh, from Brooklyn. We took, you know, made a trek out to the Western United States, all the national parks. And I just fell in love with the art and the craft of, of photography and being able to express myself creatively. I didn't even know I had it in me, quite honestly, but that 
I could express myself through the camera. I could see something visually translated through the camera and the lens onto film. And then, of course, when I got back home and I was I, very early in my high school career, my high school years, I was I, I became very interested in the darkroom and how to process film and how to make prints and all. It's just a magical experience when you see that for the first time. And I was like, I told you, I was really interested in sports. I played a lot of sports as a kid. We played roller hockey in the winter, you know, on ice. But, you know, I knew that wasn't my calling, but I knew I had these two passions. You know, I love sports. I love photography. When I ended up at the University of Massachusetts, I was able to kind of merge both my passions together, working for our daily newspaper. And then I transferred halfway through my UMass experience. I transferred to a place in California called Art Center College of Design, which did not encourage sports photography. But I was um, I was introduced to some amazing Sports Illustrated staff photographers mm-hmm. who took me under their wing as an assistant. And I saw an opening there. I saw an opening, um, a niche, hockey and basketball being the two sports that I learned to light um, at the forums primarily became kind of my concentration. Although I was doing a lot of uh, photography of every sort of sport. I mean, it wasn't a weekend that went by in the fall, for example. I wasn't doing five or six different games a weekend, you know basketball, hockey. We had two NFL teams at that point. We had UCLA and USC playing football every Saturday. So um, I I was really in the right place at the right time, Neil. You know, um, 83 All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game was at the Forum. My good friend who was the PR director at at the Lakers at the time, early that season and that uh, November prior said, hey, you know, we're having the All-Star game here in in, uh, February 83. Maybe you should go back to the NBA and talk to them about maybe they need a photographer. And I said, you think? And he said, yeah, he's the guy you should talk to. And I wrote the guy a letter. Um, you know, there was no email or, you know, any of that stuff, <laughs> cell phone. And during a Thanksgiving weekend, I went back to visit my family. And I remember it was the Friday of Thanksgiving. I mean, who works on the Friday of Thanksgiving weekend? <laughs> but he said, I'll be in the office, you know, for a couple hours. If you can, come up, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll chat. And we did. And uh, he looked at my sort of meager portfolio. You know, <laughs> I, Obviously, I was just starting out, but I was very um, determined. Uh, I was, you know, very eager. And he looked at me, he said, well, let, let me understand something. You're here in New York, but you live in L.A.? I said, yeah, you know, I, I live in L.A. My family's here. He says, so we don't have to travel you. And... <laughs> You can eat at home, right? Before the game, I said, "Yeah, so we don't have to feed you. We don't have to put you in a hotel." Um, and back then, as you know, it was just a game on Sunday afternoon at twelve right. o'clock. It was right. no weekend situation, mm-hmm. you know. So he's and you know they had. I think they had like maybe they had three hundred bucks. I don't even know what they had. I would have worked. I would have paid them to do right. it. <laughs> and uh, they hired me. He hired me right on the spot. He said, you know, we didn't even think about having a, a, a quote unquote official photographer right. who never had one. Right. Usually use, you know, somebody who the team works with or the arena or whatever. And uh, that was the beginning of everything. You know, everything exploded. Then, you know, Showtime was just Ugh. taking shape. And uh, oh the bird God. magic era was, 
It was at its so beginning. That you got to see all of this live. Yeah. And, you know, I, I forged an amazing relationship with a guy named Terry Lyons that worked for the, in the PR department of the NBA. And he was my direct contact um, handling the photo needs, which mm-hmm. weren't very many back then. Mm-hmm. And we created NBA photos in 1986. At the same time, we created, um, we meaning Terry and I in the NBA, um, we created the position of official NBA photographer. So tell me about that moment. This podcast yeah. is about moments, and I mm-hmm. like drawing a comparison to the moments in, in my guest's career. You're a photographer. You're taking these pictures. Like you've worked your way into this amazing position, yeah. doing this thing you love, photographing these sports that you love. In, in an amazing time, by the by, the 80s Lakers. Oh, my God, I'm so jealous. But then you, how do you create NBA photos and how do you become that first official? What do you have to do to become that first official? What is that moment like? Yeah. Great, great question. Um, it's a little bit of an evolution because in 83, I started shooting, um, I'd already shot one NBA finals, but that is a freelancer, but then they needed the NBA. I guess they did a good job at the all-star game. They said, Mm -hmm. you know, the finals, we could use somebody to shoot the finals so I didn't travel to Philadelphia, but it was the Philadelphia Lakers series. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the Sixers won the championship at the Forum. Um, and, to ha- you know, for them to know that they had somebody dedicated to shooting for them, right. um, I think it was very comforting. And and I, I, did a, I did a great job, I think. I, you know, it was Dr. J's only championship. And it was, it was a great moment. Um, and then... Terry and I, you know, we talked multiple times during the day, during the season, for example. Um, he'd get requests from anybody from the sporting news to the one trading card company the NBA had a license <laughs> with, to the one poster company. So he would call me and say, hey, you know, um, you know, star cards or whatever it was called, they're looking for um, – you know, these 12 players for their next mm. things. And, you know, I had a little four drawer filing cabinet in my, in my one room apartment <laughs> and I'd go in there and I'd pull them out. And I didn't even think we had FedEx then. I think it was like <laughs> U S postal service express mail or something. Right. And I'd send them to him. And these are, keep in mind, this is original film. This right. is right. original transparencies or even negatives. Mm. Um, so it was a real leap of faith back then. <laughs> and by the time we got to basically the 85, 86 season, um, it became kind of unworkable for me personally and for Terry, because Terry was then consumed with so much that was going on right. with the explosion of the NBA right. domestically, but also internationally, mm-hmm. the NBA was starting to really take shape and we were starting to have events, you know, Thinking about events, we haven't actually done them yet, but teams were touring and doing things like that. So a discussion was made, was had between myself, the NBA, Terry. I remember Gary Bettman was there at the time, was was the deputy commissioner. Went up to David Stern um, that you know maybe we uh, we take Andy's four drug filing cabinet right. and ship it to New York, <laughs> and we become kind of you know the clearinghouse for NBA photography, like the archive. Is that your is that your pitch? Like, do you have to find the courage to go? Hold on, make me official. Let's let's step up a level. Yeah, Who's, where does that come from? No, that 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 became a, that was a pitch that I gave to oh. them. I, I put it in a proposal. I didn't push send because there was no send button in those days. But I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did mail them the proposal. I probably faxed it. I think. Um, <laughs> 
But I do remember when they came back to me and we negotiated a little bit, you know, here and there. It was very important for me um, that I retain my autonomy because right. I had built my company, Bernstein mm-hmm. Associates. We, at that point, I was the team photographer of the Dodgers. Um, I was the official photographer of the Coliseum and Sports Arena. I didn't want to lose that freelance status. I had no interest in being an employee. And uh, that came later on, actually, when I started having kids. But they were they were very gracious about that. They said, look, we want to be your best girlfriend. You know, we, we want... You, we want to know that we have you yeah. whenever we need you right. and that if there's a conflict that we have right of first right. refusal right. and all that. And to this day, that that's, that's remained the same. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. You, you have so many iconic photos and I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot, but in here, in this position, it's exactly apropos. You, your photos are icons themselves. They make icons. It's truly iconic work. I was looking through a bunch of your photos and prepping for this, and I saw the one of Jordan, a famous photo you took of Jordan from, it looks like, behind the backboard. He's flying in the air, and it's against the Lakers. I remember it from my childhood, and I was like, and I'm looking at the court, and it's like, Not as it's like a maybe a red and blue court, and I'm like, where are they playing? And right. I remember looking at that court as a kid. I remember staring at that court as a child and thinking, where are they? That is in Chicago because there's blue. It's certainly not the forum. I know that well. I'm like, where is that thing? And then I start going through my head. Why do I know this picture so well? And as I'm racking my brain trying to remember, I happen to look over at my shelves. And there's a copy of the VHS tape of Come Fly With Me. It's the cover of Come Fly With Me. Michael Jordan's Come Fly With Me. That's your photo. Yeah, no, that you you're absolutely right, Neil. I, it was it, it, everyone asked me about that because it's not the forum, and they're right. in their home uniforms. And back then, you know, the teams never wore That's anything right. at home other than That's their right. home uniform. <clears throat> and. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an enigma. So it ends up that that's that's the Hall of Fame game, which back in the day, back for years, um, the Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, would hold a game, a preseason game. It would be kind of the kickoff game. Uh, the NFL, I think, does the same thing in Canton, right. yep. Hall of Fame game. Yep. And they would kick off that season with a preseason game with uh, um, the NBA champions previous year against another team. Happened to be the Bulls and Lakers that year. And um, back then I was only able to do one remote camera. Technically, it was only possible to, to sync one remote camera with this strobe system. And I, mm. I, cho- I chose the through-the-glass angle yes. and, and got that photo. Um, you know, Of course, I'm sitting on the other side of the court. That's how we do it. Right. Where I sit on the other side of the court, I have a little plunger button mm-hmm. so that when – the players in in the zone of where the remote is aimed, you know, I I bang the button. So you want to hear about a moment, right? I mean, this this is probably the moment in my career that maybe defined my early career. One of the moments. Um, so we're in Springfield, Massachusetts, right? Mm. So this play happens, and you know, I push the button, and I don't know if I got the picture or not. I mean, the strobes went off, so I was kind of confident of the timing of it but you know you never know the player's in the right place the arm is not in the face whatever the rim could be blocking his face and so as soon as i take the picture terry comes over to me and he's like begging me on the, the game is still going on <laughs> you got that picture did you get that picture and i'm like 
I was saying, T, I don't know. I mean, how would I know that? It wasn't in the day of digital where you could just right. look at the back, you know. So he goes, we got to drive to New York after the game. <laughs> so we pack everything up. You know, it's probably 11 o'clock, 1130 at night. The strobes, we got to take them all out. The whole thing, packed everything up. We're in the car. It's probably at 1230 at night. And we're driving from Springfield to Manhattan because that's where the lab is located. Mm. It has to process the film, right? right? right. <laughs> and we're driving through the night down I-84, blah, 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 blah. We get to New York and we, we get to Dugal Lab, which is down like in, I guess it's in Chelsea area or Soho. And uh, it's about five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> like banging on the door and some guy comes out. He goes, you know, we're not open till like eight. <laughs> no, we got to get this film developed. Blah, blah, blah. And I think he was like, he was like a maintenance guy. He goes, well, so, nobody's here yet. Uh, and he said, I think they come in around six because they had a drop box, you know, yeah. where they would. And we didn't want to put the film in the drop yeah, box. We didn't trust it. <laughs> so he and I literally stayed in the car until we saw a dude show up. <laughs> the sun is coming up. And uh, we rush in there. We go, hey, got to develop this. The guy's like, we're not open. I said, no, we don't care. We'll pay you whatever, you know. So he, he saw this like panic on our faces. So we give him all the film from the game, and they they develop the film. And it takes you know it takes about an hour and a half. And we're it's like you know we're sweating bullets. We go across the street with like nine cups of coffee. We come back <laughs> and. Is the film ready? Because it's in the dryer. You know, the film, they, they would develop it and they had to actually dry the strips of film are in this like big dryer thing, you know, hanging there. It's like a shower. You go into like a walk-in shower. And so we go into the dryer. The film is all hanging like this. And we're like, ah! <laughs> And so I see it is one roll of film, right? Which is that that angle, right? right? I wasn't able right, to right. change the film at halftime. And I see it, and I, I and, we, and we pull it out, and we're looking at it against like the fluorescent light, and we're looking, 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 and boom, there's that frame. Oh my god! I mean that that would never happen today because yeah, yeah. You, know, you, you have <laughs> the back of your camera, you look at it, it's instant right. gratification right. or mortification because <laughs> you got it or you missed it, you know. <clears throat> but what a moment that was! Oh that was god. just the most amazing moment in in like one of the most amazing moments in my career. And then, and I mean, I can't get over this, but like you take that picture and you see it in the, in the, in the dark room and you yeah. must be excited, but you can't know in the moment that that photo will go on to, that is history. That's like a moment. That's like history. It's yeah, sure. something that lives forever now. Like that's, I look at that picture and I'm like, I used to study this picture. And then I remember yeah. that it's the movie. It's just so wild that you do a job that creates history. And mm -hmm. I hope that you and your family take a moment every once in a while to realize that and appreciate it because you're not just, it's not just your work and it's not just your art. It's a thing that's history to the rest of us. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate that, Neil. I mean, at the time I knew it was, it, it was an important picture. Right. I mean, you know, photos don't take on iconic status until time right, proves right, right. that right. um you know it's just like michael jordan holding the trophy with his dad in 91 his yes. first championship obviously a very very important photo at the time as a as a photojournalist primarily you know that's my job is i got to record the moment mm. um we didn't know he had five more coming after that his dad would get murdered that you know this would right. become you know what it became and 
you know, to be the guy that that was fortunate enough to be in that position. I feel like I earned the position For to sure. be there to to capture that moment. And then, you know, to, to watch The Last Dance when it came out and they spend almost an entire episode right. on that moment. Yes. I could actually see myself as they zoom into the ball of, of the trophy, like taking the photo. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's almost it's surreal. Crazy. It's like an out, outer body experience. Amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm already, I'm already killing myself over the fact that I'm not going to be able to ask you all the questions I want to ask you. <laughs> we'll have to do a part two, Neil. I'd love to. I'd love to. Uh, don't make any promises you can't keep, Andrew. <laughs> no, I, I as my as my kids know, I love talking about myself. <laughs> how, how? Just quickly, I'm just dying to know. How many photos do you take in a typical basketball game? Now, yeah. now, now, now. Obviously, yeah. before yeah. it wasn't digital, but now that it's digital, how many photos are you taking during a normal game? Yeah, regular game, uh, regular season game, probably seven to eight hundred wow. or so. You know what? You know, that's that, actually that, not that, as many as I would have thought. Yeah, that well, keep in mind I'm using this strobe system, which right. is very limiting, which Got means it. I can only take one picture every four seconds. Got it. Because That's you shoot the strobe go off. Imagine a big flash going right, off. Right. Right. But then they have to recycle their right. energy back. Right. Up. So a little flash you have in your camera usually recycles, you know, very quickly. Got these it. these big units take four seconds to recycle. And if you shoot in between that you blow the fuses and you know you pack up and go home because right. your day is over. So, um, so you're not ripping off three, four, five shots no. in one. But God, no. it. that that no. actually that's interesting to think about, and I think everyone should think about it. It that minimizes the amount. Like for me, I think of photography as like a numbers game. The more I shoot, the more. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the better the chance that I take one that doesn't stink. When I'm taking pictures of my yeah. nieces and nephews, I'm just holding that plunger down, just snapping off a bunch, hoping that I've got one where all five of them have their eyes open. <laughs> you are not able to do that. So all of the photos that you do get, all the killer photos that you have gotten, all the iconic photos you have gotten, it's mm. because you have had to take, you've had to see that moment, take it, and then wait a beat to get another one. That's amazing yeah. to think about. Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. Preparation, first of all anticipation mm. experience mm. um you know i've got yeah I, I cut my teeth on having to figure out what what magic johnson was going to do and right in a millisecond yeah. with the ball as he's coming up right. and he's got worthy on one side hoop on the other side and he can make literally five six moves before he dishes it off or right. goes to the hoop or right. back doors it or whatever you know so yeah that, it's that, a that, lot it, of, of just some of it's luck obviously right. but as we know, you know, you, you put your yourself in position to have yeah. luck <laughs> and luck helps it's, you. It's funny to so. think about chemistry uh, making a difference too. It obviously makes a difference in sports. I feel like all sports fans acknowledge that, but you having the experience of watching a particular player and knowing where they might go or guessing mm -hmm. what they might do matters to your line of work as well, because mm -hmm. these things happen in a split second. I feel yeah. like sports photography is a job that lots of people feel like they could do. And that's definitely not the case. <laughs> well, I mean, there has to be some innate, um, I don't know if you call it ESP or right. whatever it is, right. but we we sports photographers, news photographers too, to some extent, but sports photographers, we just have to be a, a, like a millisecond ahead. Right. I mean, I have to just, you know, Kobe's going up for a tomahawk. I just, I have to, 
And then I have to be patient mm-hmm. for that other millisecond. Mm-hmm. Do I want the ball here or right. do I want it here? Or if I wait to here, the ball's in his face, the right. arm's in his face, it's all over. So, look, it, it's a lot of, you know, Kobe didn't make every last second shot he ever took either. So, you know, there's a lot of hit and miss. Hopefully you get more than, than you don't. I've been burned many times in my career. Um, I have come to peace with the fact that as long as I am locked in and present and not distracted, um, that if it's – as long as it's not operated error, mm-hmm. I can at least go home at night and look at myself in the mirror and say I did the best I could. Right. You know, I can't help it if a referee's in the right. way right. Of, a, right. of a Vince Carter dunk or – you know, if if uh, you know Shaq goes up for some ridiculous dunk and both his arms are in his face, or <laughs> but you know, if I'm locked in, I'm I'm in focus. I've composed it correctly. I've timed it. What can I do? Right. Do you, to that end, do you have a photo that you look at that you remember as you going, man? If that ref was just an extra foot this way, if I had taken this a half second later, like, is there a photo? Fo- there's a shadow across the face. Is there something? Is there a photo that you think of that you that kills you that eats away at you because you go, if this one thing yeah. or these two things had just been slightly different, this is like you know, world changing, icon icon making. Is there a photo that you were so close on but it didn't get all the way there that you still appreciate? Well, we we don't have time to talk about all those photos. <laughs> I mean, literally, Neil, that happens nightly or oh. every, every. I mean, if you talk to any sports mm. photographer, all of us are like, "Damn, I wish that X Y Z didn't have, or I wish I got that play, or what have you." Um, my good friend, amazing, probably the greatest basketball photographer in history, John McDonough, great sports photographer from Sports Illustrated. Mm. I mean, he would get photos of stuff that. I didn't even know happened, you know, <laughs> and I'm sitting next to him at a finals game or whatever, and I get the magazine the next week and there'd be a double truck, double page of, of some ridiculous, insane moment. And I, I would call him. I said, John, you know, like I didn't get up to go to the bathroom or like, I wasn't in a coma. I like, when did that happen? You know, so that's healthy competition that keeps us all sort of on our toes and motivated which is a, a great part of what we do. Do you have a thought on cell phone photography? It, it, digital, let me, I'm going to say something yeah. and then you can either agree or disagree with it. Yeah. Digital photography allows people to take lots more photos. Yeah. And wow. then you're bound to get a couple that end up being better. Do you have an, an opinion on digital? Like, do you look at digital photography and go, it's allowed ex- more people to be better at this job. But if you had to shoot the way I had to shoot, maybe you don't have this spot in your career. I guess I'm kind of answering, asking, and this sort of comes off of you talking about sitting next to these people that you, you know, have this light competition with. How competitive are you? Are you looking at, at, at new photographers, young people, kids taking, you know, a cell phone picture from the crowd that then goes viral on the internet and going, this kid's getting all this attention for this picture, but I've, you know, how, how competitive are you? What are your thoughts on digital photography? Well, first of all, I was very, very competitive early in my career. And I, I, I feel like that helped me uh, yeah, sure. keep my edge. Yes. And um, I was always looking at other people's photography only because, you know, I just wanted to get better. Right. You know, I think it's a, an amazing thing for the craft of photography that everyone on the planet, I mean, literally every person on the planet, you know, has 
a camera in their pocket, okay. their purse, their glove box, you know, their backpack, wherever. I mean, the cameras today on cell phones are are light years better than the early digital cameras that right. we use, which were like, you know, remember the, the original cell phones, you know, that were those big like brick things. I mean, yeah. that's what the early digital cameras were like. And it's evolved to to the digital revolution is, has evolved to the way that anybody literally can yeah. go to a camera store right. or Best Buy or Amazon or wherever and buy a high-end camera and plunk the money down, open the box, turn it on and put it on A, you know, for auto. And <laughs> But that doesn't make you a photographer. OK, that that makes you a picture taker, right. gives you a, a tool to take pictures. Right. Um, but photography as a skill, mm. as an art form, uh, you know, requires a lot of training. Um, it does require some some God given innate talent, I, I do believe. Um, I, you know, I, I've met very few people and I've taught a lot of people along the way who sort of taught themselves to perform at the at the highest level quite frankly i think you just have to be born with some talent like a painter or even a writer uh an actor singer whatever um if you're a creative person there has to be something in your dna i think you know um and yeah look i mentor a lot of young photographers i love just before coming on with you i i was on for an hour with a young photographer back east and i really feel that's my job now to be of service to the next generation because of the craft. Right. You know, Kobe Kobe felt that way because that's why we did our book together, right. The Mamba Mentality, yes. because he finally felt now that he's retired that he can share this wisdom, mm-hmm. not only about the skill of and the craft of playing basketball, but the whole process that right. went, in, went into him becoming right. the Black Mamba, who right. he was. Right. So... Um, I hope people who read the book, get the book, are not just getting it because they want to learn something about basketball. You know, the Mamba mentality transcends basketball. It's all about, you know, what you can bring into your life um, and how to just get better, how to be a better person. Uh, Mamba mentality, I'm holding up Journey to the Ring, the book yeah. on the yeah, yeah, yeah. Lakers 2010 and, uh, championship season. Uh, mm-hmm. How do those projects come about? Are you pitching that to Kobe? Are you pitching yeah. Mama Mentality to Kobe? Are you pitching this to Phil and the Lakers? Like, how do those projects come about? Well, Journey to the Ring was super interesting because the, after the 2009 championship in Orlando, I don't know if you remember, but Phil announced that I think at the podium at the after the final game that this coming season, 2009-10, was going to be his last year coaching. Yeah. So I'd become pretty close with Phil, um, going back to his bulls days, had a great relationship. Um, just a wonderful, incredible human being person to be around. Um, so during the summer, I kind of developed this idea and I presented it to him. I actually wrote him a letter. I said, you know, I would love to, um, document your final season. You know, obviously it was going to be a Laker coach and, I had already talked to a publisher who was interested. They said, look, if, if Phil's on board and we'll be willing to write you know, glorified captions mm-hmm. and maybe some chapter headings and things like that, um, so you can collaborate together, you know, we're, we're all in. And Phil was like, he says, sure. He says, but Andy, I got to warn you, be careful what you wish for. 
And I'm thinking, I don't know what that means, but okay, I get it. So um, we had agreed that we would do it in black and white, mm-hmm. by the way, mm-hmm. which was near and dear, dear to Phil's heart. He's a big advocate of photography, especially black and white. The publisher was all for it. And the publisher said, you know what? We're going to publish this book no matter what happens in this in final season. year of Phil's career. They don't make the playoffs. They make the playoffs. They get to the finals. They lose the final. They win. We don't care. This is really about his, you know, right. literally journey, journey right. to the end of his career, long career. Um, so we, we get the training camp opens and I'm all excited and I have it all mapped out in my mind. And, and it, it was, it was vital that I, that I'm, um, um, embedded with the team for the entire season. So I got permission from Mitch Kupchak and everybody else that, you know, Andy's just going to be part of the furniture this season and we'll go on most of the road trips and be allowed to shoot practice and have basically all access, um, you know, because of Phil and shoot, you know, off the court and all this stuff. So I, <laughs> I start shooting and I start following Phil, you know, from his house to, the, the practice facility or to the plane or to the hotel or to the arena, whatever it was. And after about three weeks, <laughs> I'm, I'm just super frustrated because he's giving me all this access, but everything's starting to look the same. Right. And I'm thinking like seven, eight months of this. I mean, it's, gonna be, it's like, it's a nice photo essay, but it's not a book. Right. So I, I went to him kind of with my tail between my legs. And I, I said, you know, coach, um, I love you, <laughs> but you know, and he looks at me with that look and I said, but you know, this is not working. And he said, I told you, I told you to be careful what you wish for. And then he was waiting. And I, I said, I said, but I do think, I do think this, this is, this is really about the journey of the team mm. through this season, your mm. last season. Mm-hmm. He said, absolutely. I said, he said, I was hoping you would come to that realization. He said, I'm willing to do that. You know, we'll revamp what the book's going to look like, and I'll, I'll still write the chapters, and we'll still collaborate on the photos and all that stuff and picture selection. And the publisher agreed, by the way, to all that. He said, but the one caveat, and you have to agree to that right now, is that this will not be a Kobe-heavy book. Got it. Right? Got it. And I said, absolutely. I said, Kobe's just, you know, one of 14. I mean, right. that's it, Right. And if you look at the book, yes. it's really not Kobe heavy. I, I mean, Kobe's represented, reason. but That's he's right. just as much part of the team, you know. And the only and and he did not want he didn't back up. He says the cover shot has to be a generic shot that talks about the team, mm. not a specific player, Kobe right. or anybody right. else, or or even me. He said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we got to the process of picking the cover, and thank God they won the championship. <laughs> the cover is is two hands holding up the trophy. They happen to be Kobe's hands. Mm-hmm. Could have been anybody's right. hands, honestly. Um, but that was how that whole thing developed, man. And he was a great collaborator. He was wonderful. And I got to tell you one quick story. So the, the second caveat was that every player had to be represented in the book in some way. Got it. Right? And there was a player on the team named Josh Powell yes. who was injured most of the year. Right. And, but when he wasn't injured, he didn't play. Right, right, right. Right. But I'm still traveling and I'm getting behind the scenes stuff and blah, blah, blah. I'm not really thinking like, do I have, you know, did I shoot Josh Powell? Like right. if he's in the weight room, right. maybe I'll shoot him. Right. Um, final galleys of the book are done. 
I'm with my family on Martha's Vineyard where I put the book away. It was finished. It was going to go to press, the whole thing. And Phil literally calls me at, it had to be one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. My phone is ringing and my wife's like, you can answer that. I'm like, I think I'm going to answer because Phil Jackson is calling me. (laughs) And he's pissed and he's in Montana, right? And he's Andy. I saw the final galleys in the book and you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. I'm like, coach, what what, what are you talking about? He said, uh, I'm thinking it's too much Kobe. He goes, where are the po- photos of Josh Powell? <laughs> ah, I don't see one picture of Josh Powell in this so book. Funny. I'm like, Coach, I'm sorry. I, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I, 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 you know, it's a way I had to get my assistant to like literally look through <laughs> everything we shot all year long. And thank God she found a, one like a photo from you know work like the gym or working out or something. I don't know what it was. That's amazing of him. This is how meticulous he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing that he, it's amazing that you were working with someone that was, that cared that much and is also creative himself. Yeah. And what an amazing result that you have. I love this book. Oh, absolutely. And the same experience with Kobe. You know, I presented the idea to Kobe. Kobe retired, you know, Mamba out, dropped 60. He's done. right? Right. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, this is April of 2016, that there's this mountain of photography that I've shot on of, of this guy over 20 years. A lot of it's been seen, right. but it's kind of, you know, Springsteen writing you know, a greatest hits album. Right. I mean, think about, you know, how many thousands of tens of thousands of songs are out there that were never published. That's why he came out with the tracks album, because there was just stuff sitting there that was never put out there to the public. So I, I made a, I, I made a proposal and a presentation to Kobe and his his team to do a coffee table book, a Tashin style, one of those big, you know, um, of just what I felt needed to still be seen by the world that it's never really seen or not seen much. Um, and he was very respectful and went through my proposal and this big presentation I made and cl- closed the, the, this sort of prototype of a book that I did. And he just looked up at me, he goes, Andy, I got good news for you. I got bad news. <laughs> And I'm looking at him, and everybody's looking at me, you know, it's a whole conference table of people. He goes, the good news is we're going to do a book together. Amazing. Bad news is not going to be this book. <laughs> <laughs> but literally how he put it, I said, I said, okay, Mr. Mamba, sir, um, what kind of book are we doing? And, you know, Neil, he knew exactly the book he wanted to do. Of course he, he did. Of he course so- he did. So respectful to let me come in and, and give my pitch. And, you know, and he knew how much work I had put into it and all that. And he said, look, I, w- I want to do a book that that for the first time out of my own mouth, people hear what right. the Black Mamba yes. represented, right. what the Mamba mentality is. A lot of people speculated. Right. Like people, you know, what the hell is a Black Mamba? It's right. a black vicious snake. Right. Why did you choose that? And he kind of skirted it once in a while, but he wanted people to know, and he wanted to know what, how you bring the Mamba mentality into your world, how he did that. And basically that was, you know, every word in that book was from his mouth and every photo, you know, illustrated what he wanted to say. What a great story. Thank you for sharing that so much. 
we have to dive into your work. We have to decide which of your photos make it into the first ballot hall of fame. If they do listen, I'm not guaranteeing anything, Mr. Bernstein. This is a very prestigious. I know you have actual work in the actual hall of fame, but the first ballot hall of fame is very prestigious. Everyone cares about it. No one doesn't care about it. It's a big deal. Do you understand the stakes here? I I'm with you, man. I mean, <laughs> I'm already in the hall of fame, but to be in your hall of fame. It's a bigger it's deal. It's probably bigger. Listen, <laughs> we have to decide which of your pictures might make the hall of fame. So okay. I want you to pick a favorite picture of yours. And then I'm going to pick a big favorite picture of yours. I'm going to go second because maybe yours is mine. And then I'm going to pick a different one. You pick a favorite picture. I'm going to pick a favorite picture. We're going to go quickly through our Hall of Fame credentials, decide uh, which one is best, and if either makes it. Okay, you pick a favorite. Well, uh, you know, I got to pick Kobe um, ensconced in ice uh, that I shot in black and white during actually that Journey to the Ring shoot. Yes. And that book ended up in our book as well. Um, I just think that's the epitome of, of the Mamba mentality all in that one picture. So I'm picking that one, Neil. Okay. We have to go through our Hall of Fame credentials here. The first one we're going to, really the only one we're going to go through is the eye test. What do you see in that photo? Like, what is it about that photo? I think if you're a Laker fan, by the by, all the photos we're talking about today, they'll all be on the uh, social at First Ballot HOF on Instagram, at First Ballot Pod on Twitter. When you look at that photo of him in ice, what is it that sticks out? Is there something that makes that photo special? What is it? Well, it's it it is definitely all four pillars of the Mamba mentality. It's it's about obsession that this guy just is so obsessed with with playing that night as the second night of a back to back where in Madison Square Garden he was beat up. There, you know, it's it's relentlessness, just never giving in. Um, you know, strength. Um, you know, both his ankles were busted. Basically, he had a finger his shooting finger on, on his right hand broken in three places. And photographically, I think it's just, it just is, I think it's, it works, you know, Um, and just the moment in time. And what I knew, what I know about the access that that I had at that moment and what it took to take that photo, the years and years and years of building trust with the organization, with this particular person, this athlete, this amazing subject, this friend, um, it just means that picture just means so much to me. I love, as I look at it, there's a level of grittiness to it in that you're talking about Kobe Bryant, one of the best players to ever play the game. Rich, wealthy, famous, and he had to go find like two Coleman coolers to stick <laughs> his feet in. He's in the visitor's locker room. You said that's at MSG? Yep. MSG. Additive there, at being at the Garden, additive. He's got his feet in these buckets, icing himself down, and then the the the, the piece de resistance, or however you say that. He's got his finger, that pointer finger, that like iconic taped up finger. He's got that in like a little mug that he's also icing. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a picture! And you know, it helps that his jersey is hanging behind him, and and it's it's a it's just a very. It's just a photojournalistic moment. You know, it's yeah. funny, you know, just not to digress, but like two of my most well-known images are not action images. You know, right. people think of me as the action guy, right. the great Kobe dunks, the magic passes, you know, um, Jordan, whatever it is. But, you know, the, the Jordan with his trophy and his yes. dad photo, very photojournalistic. The Kobe and Ice photo, very journalistic. Um so anyway, I feel good about that because I always picture. wanted to be known as a photojournalist. That's a great <laughs> suggestion. I love it being 
sort of, I think of it as an, you know, an Andrew D. Bernstein. I think of that as your work, but, um, I think if, if a lot of people listed your top 10 photographs, maybe that's not on there. So I appreciate you picking that. I'm, Ooh. I am a bit aghast that you didn't pick the Jordan and his father picture. That photo is just on another planet. Yeah. You see the real emotion on his face. I think it's very funny how the human body works. Mm. Sometimes when you're sad, your body just takes over and like your face erupts in tears and you're, you start convulsing and your breath shortens and quickens and you can't stop it. Mm. And what's even crazier is sometimes that same thing happens when you're happy <laughs> and you've got this picture of Michael Jordan and his father and yeah. you see the real like joy and also pain and anguish on his face yeah. and you can see his father's reflection in the ball and it's golden and it's heavenly which i think speaks to his father and their relationship just an amazing photo i i really wanted you to say that one as well so i just want to mention it. that's not my favorite i just want to mention it. my favorite i'm going with what magic johnson and larry bird propping up against each other yeah. jostling for the rebound on the free throw line yeah. Tell me a little yeah. bit about that. What when when I when we do the eye test on that, what are you seeing in that photo that makes it special? Well, what I'm seeing honestly is the is the frustration that I had every single time these two teams played each other <laughs> because these are the two, you know, the, the marquee players of the era, right. basically. Right. And they didn't play the same position. Right. Back then in the NBA, you know, you rarely had guards guarding forwards and vice versa there wasn't a lot of switching done in those days per se you know so defensively so the only opportunity really neil that i would get there were two opportunities in the game where i get magic and bird in the same frame one was at the captain's meeting at the five minutes before the game (laughs) when the actual captains came out to to shake hands with the referees right now you get like the guys who never play come out, you know, <laughs> but um, Magic and Bird, center court, shaking hands. They, they might have a moment where they say something to each other. And then the other time would be um, if I got very lucky and there was a free throw right in front of me, somebody else was shooting a free throw and those two dudes lined up with each other. Right. Facing me. They right. could very easily line up not facing me. Right. Um, and that was how that picture was made. Amazing. Plus, the fact – what makes that picture, I think, really vitally important to the history of the NBA. And David Stern once told me that that photo helped define the era, which I thought very was much so. pretty complimentary, was that neither player is dominant in that photo. Right. Yes. There are photos like that that right. I shot, that other photographers have shot – where one guy is more, you know, jostling or more in position or right. boxing the other guy out, they are perfectly like yep. one body intertwined. Yes. yes, neither is more dominant. That's what made this isn't just a photo; it's art. It's art. It's these mm. two men who are in the photo propping each other up, and they 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 propped up each other's career. You couldn't have Bird without Magic, or Magic without Bird. Right, they're exactly. propping up the league at the time. saving the league and making it as helping to make it as successful as it is today. You've Mm -hmm. got bird in the home, white magic in that forum blue uh, uh, of the road Jersey, the, the, the the white of, of the Boston team and the dark color of, of the, the Showtime Lakers. It's just amazing. They're looking upwards. It's equally balanced. Their arms are intertwined because their careers are intertwined. Those men are intertwined. I mean, what a photo. 
Yeah, and you got you know you got Boston Garden in the background, yes. and it's by the way it says finals. Just happens to say it on on the signage right. between the, the legs behind, over there. Yes. It's just it's just all the elements came together. Good God you know, Almighty! Like, what a picture! Wonderful. All right, we have to decide. You this is this is now the um, the cosine. This is when the decision is to you. If I can <laughs> if I can only put one of those three pictures: Jordan and his dad, Kobe icing his legs. Or, or this magic and bird. If I can only put one of those into the first Bell Hall of Fame, Mr. Bernstein, which one should it be? Neil, you're killing me because, you know, I have four kids. So it's like, you know, if I'm, you, you know, it's like the ship is going down. Right. Which one do I save? Right. I mean, <laughs> um, wow. That's, that's a tough one, man. I, I, I guess you'd have to give the nod to the Jordan photo. Got it. Um, Great answer. Yeah. It's now here's this is the big last category. This is the big last credential here. It's called the induction speech. That's when me, Neil, I get to make the final decision. This is my Hall of Fame. I get to decide what happens. I'm going to take everything that you've said into account. I've really appreciated having you. I've got literally 20, maybe 30 other questions that I wanted to ask you. Well, you can do it again, Neil. I'm I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, I get to make the decision on which of these photos makes it into the first ballot Hall of Fame, and -hmm. here it comes. The Jordan and his father picture. It's in. It has to be. They, they, to me, that picture defines Michael Jordan in a way. Mm-hmm. That relationship with his father, it's just iconic. Guess yeah. what? Kobe in the ice bucket. It's also going in. <laughs> I love this book. This I love this book. This like I was like staring at this book and reading this book, showing it to my family and thinking. You know what? Maybe I can get Andy to do this podcast. And then you did it. That picture's going in. And guess uh, what? My favorite, Magic and Bird, that's going in as well. All three in the first tri- Bell Hall of Fame. A trifecta. A trifecta. It's, that's awesome. It is a tribute to your career and what you've done. It matters. If you judge a person's career by whether it matters to me, sir, your work, mm. ma- it matters to me. Uh, thank you, Neil. I, I really appreciate, appreciate you doing this. I do appreciate that a lot. And it's very... It's very humbling. Um, it, it really makes me feel like, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears that I went through as a young photographer and making my way, you know, into this business. And, and even to this day, I mean, it's still important. And uh, it keeps the juices flowing for sure. You know, I still go to games. I still have the same work ethic that I had when I first started. Um, I still love the sport. Um, I'm working less, so it's keeping me a little bit more refreshed mm. between games, you know, and which is wonderful. And yeah, I'll be around, God willing, knocking on wood um, for as long as they want me. So I'm, I'm still doing it. Thank you so much for doing it. It really matters. I love your work. I'm tickled that you're on it. I can't believe you agreed to do it. Seems again, oh, just, on, seems man. like it's a giant fun. waste of your time. But I appreciate it nonetheless. What can you plug? Tell me about the Legend of Sport podcast. What can you plug? Tell people how to follow you. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. So I host a weekly podcast. Um, uh, it's called Legends of Sport. We're now in our sixth season, hosted primarily by iHeart, but of course you can get it on Apple, right. Spotify, and every platform. Um, I interview people across the board in sports, not just basketball, but it is sort of basketball heavy, of course, but um, personalities of every kind in sports. Um, could be an executive, could be a player, could be a former coach, could be a journalist. Mm. And we have very, very spirited, wonderful conversations. So folks could follow at Legends of Sport on Instagram and Twitter. Um, the podcast, of course, called Legends of Sport. We also have a YouTube and TikTok channel. Um, 
called Legends of Sport on both of those platforms. And then my photography, primarily best place to find my photography is on my Instagram at ADB Photo Inc. At ADB Photo Inc. I just want to mention one other thing please, really please, quick, please. is that we, we are launching right now um, a sign-up campaign for the holidays, but of course it'll continue after that, uh, for a, a live workshop that I'll be doing, a 12-part workshop. We're going to launch that in, in June. Mm. We're running a super special right now if you get in before the holidays. Um, but it'll be a 12-part workshop um, that you'll be able to interact with me live. It'll Every week we'll have a different theme or topic, very uh, closely based to my career, of course, but what I learned from people like Kobe and Magic and David Stern, mm. Peter Goober, they'll have a lot of the Mamba mentality in it. And then we'll have a, uh, every week we'll have a guest um, to speak to the topic from that Amazing. week. So um, check that out. It's it's called beyondthelens.live, beyondthelens.live. Beyondthelens.live. That's amazing. We're going to link to all of this on the social. So if you are listening cool. to this and want to know it, you check out the social. Amazing. That That's like learning from the master. That would be incredible. Cool. Well, Thank you, you so much sir, up, for doing man. the show. I, 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 <laughs> listen, listen. If I, I'm going to be raising my hand, you're going to have to answer. I'm going to be acting like a goddamn podcast host in the middle of your class. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much for doing the show, sir. I really appreciate it. Uh, so super fun, man. I hope we get to meet in person sometime. Too. That would be fantastic. That's it. That's the show. Thanks to Andy Bernstein for being on. Please follow him on Instagram at ADB Photo Inc. or Legends of Sport Podcast. And on TikTok, Legends underscore of underscore sport. Andy Bernstein's fantastic. We've got to have him back on. I have too many other questions to ask him. Thanks to Jessica saying. Thanks to Robert Rucci. Thanks to Rhythm J for all the beats. Follow him on social at Rhythm J. Same as last week. If you have anything you want us to discuss, we've got some holiday episodes coming up, some special episodes. We're taking feedback from you, the listener. Please send in your questions and comments over our social at First Ballot HOF on Instagram, at First Ballot Pod on Twitter, or email us at firstballotpod at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear your questions and comments, your insults, and your jokes. Thanks for listening. Come back next week for more First Ballot.